Please listen carefully. Salutations, toppers, and welcome to episode 49. Next week is the big number 50, and it's the first episode in our big three-part anniversary bonanza. If you're in the Facebook fan page or follow the show on Twitter, then you know all or most of the participants by now, and hopefully you're as excited about it as I am. After the three-parter, year two of the show starts, and I'll be making a couple of changes. One will be a change to how I get the quotes for familiar quotations, and the other change is that I'm going to add a whole new segment that I think will be a lot of fun. In the interest of keeping this intro from getting too long, I'll explain more details in episode 53, when the changes actually take place. For bonus stuff, you can check out the Patreon page, which is linked in the show notes. Alright, so what are we talking about today? Well, since this episode is dropping on Memorial Day here in the States, we're doing a theme with memory-related phrases. Without further ado, let me give you something to remember with today's phrases, origins, history, and more. Before we get into the phrases, I want to go over a brief history of Memorial Day itself. This is a day meant to remind us all to remember the men and women who've given their lives defending this country, and each of us in it. But how long have we been setting aside a day for this? Since 1865. Well, maybe. There's actually quite a bit of debate about this. It has a rather convoluted beginning, but I'll try to sum it up in a non-confusing way. Basically, after the Civil War, in late April and early May of 1865, people were placing flowers on the many graves of the soldiers who didn't make it home. For the next couple of years, they would put fresh flowers out again at the same time, and it started a tradition. Three years after the war, on May 5, 1868, Decoration Day was officially established by John A. Logan, the Commander-in-Chief of the Grand Army of the Republic, which was an organization of Union veterans. He stated that every May 30th from that point on would be a Memorial Day for people to, quote, for the purpose of strewing with flowers or otherwise decorating the graves of comrades who died in defense of their country during the late rebellion, and whose bodies now lie in almost every city, village, and hamlet churchyard in the land. End quote. So, officially, Memorial Day didn't begin until 1868, but the premise of it started in 1865. In 1882, Memorial Day was first used instead of Decoration Day, but that name didn't become the more popular one until after World War II. It didn't actually become the official name until 1967. After World War I, the day became a memorial for service members who had died in all American wars. In 1971, the date was changed from being observed on May 30th to the last Monday of every May. One final change about Memorial Day was that every year since 1997, there has been a national moment of remembrance. Wherever you are, at 3 p.m. in your time zone, 
people are asked to observe a minute of silence to reflect on the great sacrifice that has been made for their freedom. So, even though I don't know when you'll listen to this episode, before moving on to the phrases, I would like to have a minute of silence as a small token of my appreciation to all the members of the armed forces who have died for me and every other American. Thank you for allowing me to do that, toppers. Now, let's look at why things get stuck to the tips of our tongues. Saying something is on the tip of your tongue means that you're not quite able to recall something. Even if you've never heard this idiom, I'm willing to bet that you've experienced the feeling it's describing. You're trying hard to remember something you know that you know and it feels like that thing is there just outside the reach of your mind's grasp. Now, this frustrating failure to flesh out your thoughts is more than a feeling. It's actually a real thing. It's called lethologica, which is defined as the state of not being able to remember the words you want. This term can be traced back to at least 1915, when it appears in Dorland's American Illustrated Medical Dictionary. The etymology of lethologica is classical Greek. It comes from the words letha, meaning forgetfulness, and logos, which means word. So it literally means forgetfulness about words. It's a fitting name for this phenomenon. As for why it's referred to as something being on the tip of your tongue, well, that just comes from the way it feels to experience lethologica. When you can't quite come up with the right word, but it's a word you know you should be able to recall, it can feel as if the word is trapped in your mouth, right at the tip of your tongue. There's really not anything else to the history of this one. So now, let's ring a bell. The idiom, does that ring a bell, sometimes said as simply, ring any bells, is a way to ask someone if hearing or seeing something has helped them to remember something they forgot. So, what do bells have to do with remembering? Many people believe it comes from the experiments of the Russian physiologist Evan Petrovich Pavlov. In the late 18th century, he began his famous classical conditioning experiments, which can be summed up as this. He figured out that dogs could be conditioned to drool in anticipation of being fed, even if the stimulus had nothing to do with food, like a bell. Humans can be conditioned in the same way, and so this could easily be the origin of the phrase, though it probably isn't. However, it is likely what made the saying popular. 
If we look back through old-timey times, bells have been used as reminders for many things for a long time. Think about bells being rung to let people know it was time to eat, or church bells ringing to announce it was time for church. Bells in clock towers ring out to remind people that a new hour has arrived, and bells tell people that a round of boxing is over. Now, those last two examples are a little different, sure, but I mention them to solidify my point. Bells have long been used to let people know things, so it's not hard to see how they've become associated with memory. I couldn't find a first use in print, since this is more of a physical thing than some of the other phrases we've looked at. So let's move on to strings on fingers. The belief that tying a string around your finger will help you remember to do something is an old one. Like, biblically old. Well, the idea behind it, at least, is that old. Let's look at the King James Version of the Book of Numbers, chapter 15, verses 37 through the first half of 39. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and bid them that they make them fringes in the borders of their garments throughout their generations, and that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribbon of blue. And it shall be unto you for a fringe, that ye may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord, and do them. Now, it's believed that Moses wrote the book of Numbers sometime between 1440 and 1400 B.C., so, since at least that time, strings have been associated with memory. Another piece of this practice comes from old-timey medical procedures. Folks used to combat pain by tying cloth around wounds and sore areas, but not to stop bleeding or to provide support like we still do today. It was to keep what they called the spirit of life in the injured areas, which both helped cure the ailment and kept it from spreading. This belief eventually led to the idea that tying a string on your finger while thinking of something would keep the thought there, and therefore help you remember it later. That's really all there is to this one. It's been around a long time, and people aren't likely to forget about it anytime soon. So now it's time for today's metaphorical moment. It's just a metaphor, dude. It's a metaphor. Curious metaphor. A metaphor. That's just a metaphor. Today's metaphor is it goes in one ear and out the other, which means that something is forgotten immediately. This one has a nice mental image that goes along with it. Something being said is heard in one ear, but doesn't get absorbed by the brain and just slips right out the other ear. This one is attributed to Geoffrey Chaucer, because it doesn't seem to appear anywhere before he wrote it in his poem Troilius and Chrysidae written in the late 14th century. He wrote, quote, On ear it heard, at the other out it went. End quote. Shakespeare used the phrase as well, and John Haywood listed it in his book of Proverbs. So, by the 17th century, it was more than well established in the vernacular. This one is pretty straightforward, since we know where it came from. So, let's head on over to the book for today's Familiar quotation. All right, toppers, I've got the book here open to a quote from Max Schneckenberger. It's the only quote he has in here, and it's from his work, The Watch on the Rhine. It says, 
So long as blood shall warm our veins, while for the sword one hand remains, when armed to bear a gun no more, shall foot of foemen tread thy shore. Dear fatherland, no fear be thine, firm stands thy guard along the Rhine. That's actually a pretty good quote for today. Thank you, Mr. Schneckenberger, for today's familiar quotation. All right, toppers, that's going to do it for episode 49. Thank you for lending me your ears today to turn some phrases. As I always do, I hope you enjoyed the episode and that you learned something along the way. You can connect with me and fellow language lovers on Twitter and Facebook. Just look up Turn of Phrases on either site, or go to turnofphrases.com for links and more information. If you want to send me a message or topic suggestions, you can email me, which is brisky at turnofphrases.com, or use my website's contact form. My website also has details about all the music I use in the show. If you had a good time listening today, please consider subscribing or leaving a rating and review. If you know someone who'd enjoy the show, please tell them about it to help spread the word. Thanks again for listening to the Turn of Phrases podcast, researched, written, hosted, and produced by me, Brisky. Until next time, toppers. Wait, what was I saying? Toodaloo. Let me rephrase. There's actually quite a bit of debate upon above. <laughs> You're trying hard to remember something that you know that you know. No, that doesn't make that sounds stupid. It's called lethologia. Nope, that's not what it's called. It's called lethologica. That's still not it. <laughs> it's called lethologica. Nope, I. <laughs> I hate my inability to say things. When it appears in Dorland's American in... Nope. As for why it's referred to being stuck on the... Nope, that's not what I wrote. <laughs> Y'all, my computer won't stop reading the stuff I click on. <laughs> I okay, stop, please. Oh, it's just like reading me the whole web page. <laughs> I broke it. Uh, okay, I think I got it to stop. Okay, let's move on. Evan Petrov Pavlov Petrovich. That's not, yeah, I definitely said that wrong. Let's go back. This one is attributed to Geoffrey Chaucer because it doesn't seem to be a peer. Nope. Ooh, that was, excuse me. Okay, toppers, I've got the book here opened to a quote from Max Schneckenberger. <laughs> that can't be right. Schneckenberger. Schneckenberger. Okay, we'll, we'll go with that. <laughs>